Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you. How's everybody doing today? You doing good? Well, I'm so excited to be with you, and man, it is so good to worship uh, Jesus today. And I just want to welcome you here. If you're new here, we want to say thank you for coming. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're old here, we want to say welcome. And I mean that in all forms of the word old. I mean, as I get older, I appreciate age and wisdom. But we're th- thankful you're here. Well, today we are in week three of our series uh, through the book of James. And, and really, James brings up something very um, very intentional in this huge idea in chapter three, he says, your words matter. The things you say matter. And just like there is the one name of Jesus, where Jesus changes everything about everything, in the same way one sentence you say can be something that brings life, it can also can bring something that brings pain. Isn't that right? So how many of you guys agree, and you can just, you know, sort of nod your head, raise your hand, whatever. How many of you guys agree that words have power, right? Words have power. We know this. It's obvious. And when we were kids, we used to say this saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will Do we really believe that, right? I mean, I think we're lying to our kids, aren't we? We all know that words actually hurt quite a bit. They sting quite a bit. All we have to do is... Uh, insult someone, discourage someone, and whenever we feel that, those words hurt. Uh, all I have to do right now to absolutely put someone in the dumps is to go up to them and say, I think you're stupid, I think you're ugly, or I think you don't matter, and they would, it would totally uh, destroy a person, right? But I, thankfully, I won't do that because I'm not a terrible person. However, at least I don't think I am. <laughs> However, I have used my words to do terrible things, I confess. Is anybody else willing to confess today that you have said things that have not created good things? Meaning, we have a heart to do good, but we continually stumble over our words, and those words cause bad things all the time. Anybody with me in this? Yeah. When I was a kid, it wasn't just that one saying. The other saying I'd say is, uh, is um, I'm rubber, you're glue. Your words bounce off me and stick to you. Again, not true. <laughs> words have what I call staying power. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't bounce off of nothing, do they? They stick, they stay, they last, and they do indeed bring life, but they also bring death. They can bring hope, encouragement. They can bring discouragement and despair. And so before I get any further, I just want to make sure you guys, you guys are with me today. Are you all with me? I'm going to need a little help today. I need some energy today. I need just some people that are in this, that are kind of given that whole amen thing. I need to have some church today. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's do some church. Everyone say authentic. Authentic. Here's the deal. James was clearly obsessed with this idea of authenticity. He wanted people to be authentic in their faith. He was clearly speaking to the church in Jerusalem because imagine this, he was leading a church that probably needed to hear this message. So imagine, who knows, maybe in his church, meaning his church way back then, perhaps, perhaps people said one thing, but then they did another. I mean, it was back then, guys, like it was different. 
It was different back then. Maybe in his church, people weren't consistent with their said commitment to Christ. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just back then. Thankfully, this problem with authenticity isn't around today, right? Mm-hmm. All right. James chapter 3. We're going to get into the powerful words that James says starting in verse 3. Again, James is obsessed with this idea of authenticity. Verse 3. Horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that we can control and guide their large bodies. How many of you guys know that a horse has a large body? <laughs> can I get an amen? <laughs> I don't know. Verse 4. And the same with mighty ships, though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it carries great power. I want to show you this photo. We all know and understand how a ship works. There's a large ship, and then there's a small rudder, right? And this small rudder controls where the ship goes. And this is, <laughs> I'm being basic today, friends. And we're going to have some church and you're going to actually understand what the word says. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's, here's, what, here's what James is saying. He says, your life has an ocean of possibility. But it's the tongue, it's the words you say that actually set your course. And so here's the thing. He's like, listen, this is how it works. You have an ocean of possibility, but that small thing that you call words, that's what's going to direct the path of your life. Here's where he goes on. He goes on in the next verse. Just think of how a small flame can set a, for, a huge forest ablaze. And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and it's in the most dangerous part of our human body. It corrupts the entire body and is a hellish flame. It releases a fire that can burn through the cores of human existence. My goodness. So every raging forest fire, like the ones we saw in California, begin with the smallest of flames, right? Now, of course, a lot of them are started by lightning or other droughts or things like that. But catch this out. The U.S. National Park Service says that 85% of all wildfires are started by people. Probably not a surprise to you, but it's campfires left with, with uh, this is not a Smokey the Bear commercial, by the way, but this <laughs> it's by campfires with, with you know, uh, burning embers or cigarettes thrown to the ground or an unattended uh, grill, whatever. There was one of those wildfires in Southern California last year that was started by a pyrotechnic device used at a gender reveal party, right? You guys know what a gender reveal party is, right? Like, so I want pink flames around the belly for the girl and blue flames, like shoot them off for the boy, right? Like this kid was doomed, just so you know. The parents are doing pyrotechnics at gender reveal. But anyway, my point is, my point is most of human, uh, most of the uh, forest fires are human caused by an accidental tiny decision that led to a monumental outcome, right? So James is saying this is the way the words work. There could be the tiniest thing you say that has a monumental outcome. You can say one thing and it becomes like a spark, a fire that starts to rage. And this is serious and this is sobering. And when you think about how the impact of words, I think you would agree with this. Fires range between people, in marriages, in grudges and relationships and bitterness fire rages between nations right between ideologies between policies between politics and the fuel to those fire is our words right words can also be the spark to a wave of good though words can be the difference it's not all bad the words can be the difference between a kid 
you know, giving his life to the, you know, to drugs or to gangs or whatever, or it could be to him being an overcomer, being someone doing endless good. In 1961, John F. Kennedy said the famous words that you have heard before. He said, ask not what you can, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Not sure that's the sentiment of our nation today, but in 1961, the United States was in the throes of what was known as the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. The world was uh, on, on edge, and words like these united people. It was like a spark to unite people to get through a global crisis. And see, words have power, and they also they, they have the power to not only do things that would destroy, but they also have the power to do things like unite and overcome and encourage. Again, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but this is what James is preaching, verse number seven. For every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, beaver creeper, and creatures of the sea and land have all been overpowered and tamed by humans. Mm. That's right, we strong, right? We've overcome it all. We've tamed it all. But the tongue is not able to be tamed. It's a fickle, unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. Tell us how you really feel, James. Verse 9. We use our tongue to praise God our Father and then turn around and curse a person who was made in his very image. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. So James, once again, makes a reference to the image of God that we were created in. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about this image that we're supposed to reflect. Everyone say reflect. We are created to reflect the image of God. Our authentic self is the image of God and all of his character traits, meaning his goodness, his intention. That's the life that we're supposed to imitate and reflect. And our authentic self is not the bad things that the world causes us to become. It's not the nature of sin. Our real nature is the nature that God created us to live in. And this begins with the image of God. So when our mouths curse a person, defame a person, slander a person, we are actually agreeing and promoting with the false self of another person. We are trying to push that forward. Instead of agreeing with the authentic self, and trying to help that person become that. So I want you to put this in the context of yourself. Don't you want people to really see you for who you are? This is what James is saying you should do for others. That he's, saying, he's saying, listen, it's incompatible to praise God and with the same mouth to curse people. It's inauthentic to praise God and then hate people or try and put people down. God is the creator of those people. We actually perpetuate one another's false self, the sin nature, one another's struggles, one another's wounds. We perpetuate that instead of promoting the authentic self of who that person is that we could give them through encouragement, love, and empowerment. Well, we take the false self and we put that in front of another person through things like gossip and slander, rumors, words of hatred and distrust. So 
What am I saying? Because here's what I was thinking about as I wrote this. Am I saying that all we should say are good things about one another, that there's never a place to be truthful and honest when something bad is happening? Should we only be do-gooders that are just kind of praising everybody no matter how bad they are in this world? Is there no sense of justice? Do our words not have any justice? See how that kind of, that kind of builds like a crescendo in your head. So here's the thing. Is that what I'm saying? Well, no, J- James is not saying that, and neither am I. Because here's the thing. There's something different about truth and gossip. Because here's the thing I realized is like gossip can be true. I can actually say something bad about someone, and that bad thing may be true. But if my intent is not to help that person, it's defined as gossip. If my intent is to just say something bad about someone, if my intent is to complain about someone, if my intent is to actually make someone look bad, well, then that's called gossip and slander. But if my intent is to help, well, that's called truth and love, right? And so if I want to help someone, the truth is permissible in the sense that I'm going to share words of encouragement and affirmation and I'm going to share truth based in love because that's where words of correction, words of truth, words of honesty are permissible is in space where there is the intent. And let me just say it this way, the heart to help. And see, when my words have the heart to help, that's where we're able to bring life into a situation. See, here's the crazy thing about words. We can even stunt the growth of the authentic self in one another and in ourselves when we withhold words from one another. Sometimes we don't have to, sometimes not about what we say, it's what we don't say. Think about it. Have you ever withheld kindness or encouragement from someone just because you just weren't in the mood to encourage them? You're like, no, 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 no. No. Or maybe you knew your words of gratitude would be appreciated, but you're like, well, they didn't thank me. The last time I did that thing, you remember that thing? They didn't even say thanks. I'm not going to say thanks to them. You see, we could release words and say words that take us out of grudges, that take us out of petty bitterness. We can say words that kind of release a new freedom in a relationship, but we withhold them because we want to harness power over people by the things we don't give them. So we don't give words to release authenticity. We hold words back because we think we have power over them. And so here's the thing. It can get twisted when we start exercising power. Andy Stanley says this, though. He says, unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. I've used this quote a few times before, but example is if you never say you're thankful to someone, well, if you withhold those words, you're communicating ingratitude. So husbands in the room, if you never say you're thankful to your wife, what do you think they interpret that to mean? It probably communicates that you're not thankful for them. And so I look at Christy and I want to say, I'm thankful for you and I'm sorry for when I don't tell you enough. Husbands, are you with me? Wives, are we, is, is that a good, was that good? <laughs> I did that for you. But here's the thing, for real, like we have to be able to say we're thankful. And this doesn't just apply to human relationships, does it? It applies to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Like, that's the reason we sing songs about him, pray to him. That's the way, that's the reason we celebrate him and give words of of praise about him in conversation is because we want to communicate that we are grateful to God. And and when we don't do those things, it communicates to the Lord that maybe we're not all that grateful. 
James finishes his words about words in verse 11. He says, would you look for olives hanging on a fig tree or go pick figs from a grapevine? He said, that's crazy. Is it possible that fresh and bitter water can flow out of the same spring? So neither can a bitter spring produce fresh water. Now, again, he says this after he was talking about this idea of praising God one second and then cursing people the next. So a fig tree that produced olives, well, that's not the real thing. That's inauthentic. And he's, so James questions the faith of a person that can do those things all the time. Because he's like, listen, those things don't work. Because the people that were reading this would have totally understood his illustration of this spring, a bitter spring and a fresh spring, because they understood that you, they don't, there's never a spring that produces bitter water one day and fresh the other. And they understood this because they went to draw water every day from springs and wells. This was part of their everyday life. This was like an essential practice of their everyday, going to get water. It would be like you checking your Instagram feed. It's got to happen every day, right? That kind of feel. But it was seriously, it was actually a matter of life and death. And he says, there's actually this one story I read about. There was this spring that, that had such a high density of minerals in it that it literally tasted like metal. It was so bitter. And the only way that people could drink it is if they drank it hot, then they could stomach it. But once it cooled down and it got to a lukewarm temperature, if someone drank it, it would make them sick and they would throw up. This is making you think of Revelation when God says, hey, a lukewarm faith, it's gonna make, you, make me spew you out of my mouth. And this is exactly a spring that was a real spring that the people understood. Like, listen, there's only gonna be a fresh spring or a bitter spring. There's no such thing as one that produces both. So you're not going to show up to a spring one day and it's bitter and the next day it's Nestle Pure Life water. We do the best here. Nestle, you thought it was chocolate, but it's actually pure water. <laughs> pure life is what it says. Anyway, you're not going to have, you're not going to have a spring that produces bitter one day and pure the next. It doesn't happen. Those things don't go together. This is what James called being double-minded. He says this in chapter one and chapter four, if you've read the book. Double-minded means there's like two brains operating simultaneously and they're coming up with things that don't make any sense. They don't go together. So Proverbs 8.21, it says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. Let's say that again, let's say it together. The tongue has the power of life and death. Here's what's interesting about that to me. Life and death don't go together. They both happen, but they don't go together. Meaning my life cannot be a spring that is a fountain of life and death at the same time. Right? Life and death are for different periods of time. Here's the deal. My life can't be a spring or a fountain of something that is bitter water and fresh water. Those things are incompatible. It's double-mindedness. It's inauthentic. My life has to be a living water, a spring of living water that comes from Jesus. That's what authentic authenticity is. This is what James is getting at. He's like, listen, your words have to be consistent with your faith. So this is good, right? Luke 6.45 says this, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The things we say are a reflection of our heart. God gave you the ability to speak on purpose. Our words are the expression of our heart. So the reason fight Fighting words, you know when people say, them fighting words, right? The reason fighting words come out of so many people's mouths 
is because we've allowed our hearts to be filled with bitterness and anger and hatred. And so out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James isn't trying to just fix what you say. He's trying to fix your heart. James is doing inner work here. Everyone say inner work. Inner work. <laughs> when we say inner work in a spiritual context, we're talking about the work that God wants to do within our hearts. He wants your heart to be a reflection of your authentic self, meaning the image of God. Meaning out of your mouth, if your heart is a reflection of the image of God, out of your heart only comes words of blessing and praise and encouragement and kindness basically the things of the kingdom of God. This is what James is saying. An authentic faith comes from a heart, and that heart, when it's the reflection of God, will be expressed through your actions, which was chapter 2, which we did last week. It'll also be expressed through your words, which is chapter 3. It's a holistic, honest faith in Jesus that shapes everything about who you are. See, I love, I love when the word makes sense to me. Meaning when one plus one equals two, when, whenever there's a clear understanding of what is being taught to us, and this is what James is doing. So what we're doing is we're talking about your heart today. I said we're talking about words, but we're really talking about your heart. In fact, why don't you just put your hand on your heart right now? Everybody put your hand on your heart. We're talking about your heart. Now repeat after me, I pledge allegiance. To the- <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now put your hand on your heart. See, no matter if you're on fire for Jesus right now, or no matter if you feel like a wet blanket has been put over your relationship with Jesus, here's what God wants to do no matter where you are on that spectrum. Jesus wants to renew your heart. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to impassion your heart for ministry. He wants to soften your heart towards him. He wants, you, he wants to soften your heart towards them, whoever you've become hardened towards. He wants, he wants to soften your heart towards the church and to remind you that it's his church and his bride and he wants you to be a part of it. See, he wants to do inner work in your heart because he knows when he can have your heart that he can that he can speak through your mouth into the world. It would work like a rudder, right? Shaping the direction of your life. But he needs your words to actually be authentic expression of the heart. And so when you let God do a work in your heart, your actions and your words will follow. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Amen? You can take your hand off your heart. Lately, I've been, I've been reading to Grayson at night, my seven-year-old, before bed, and we've been reading stories, just not every night, but three or four nights a week, we've been reading stories from the book of Luke, uh, reading stories about Jesus. But the other night, we were talking in, <clears throat> about James, since we're, we're actually in the book of James, and we were reading uh, our memory verses, James chapter 1, verse 5, which is on the new phone kind of background. But I was, I was, I was like, Grayson, do you know who James was? And he said, well, he was one of Jesus' disciples. 
disciples, guys. I'm working on that. I just want you to know I'm working really hard on this. One word at a time. You know what I mean? We're still on the word disciple. Anyway, I thought that was funny. Anyway, I decided to not, that's not why I brought it up, but I decided to not, I'm not reading like a kid Bible. I'm reading like just the regular Bible. You know what I mean? Which is interesting to read to a seven-year-old, but it's really helpful. And uh, we were reading, uh, you know, just a few stories a night and talking about them. And the other night, this, we came to the story where we, it's, it's more that, that teaching about, about a lamp on a stand, right? And so people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, they, they put it on its stand so it will give light to everything in the house. And I was like, do you know what that means, Grayson? And he's like, I, I don't know. And I was like, well, let's just put it in the, I was like, how do you shine your light? How could you shine your light at school? Maybe not to hide your light, but to shine your light. And he goes, well, I could, I don't know, I could say like kind things to people. And I was like, yes, you can use your words to shine your light into the darkness. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., he says, darkness cannot be overtaken with more darkness. Only light can take out the darkness. And here's the thing. How many times do we hide our light by the words we don't say or maybe the words we do say whenever we're supposed to just people who put our lamp on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house? So we know this. We know that the power of our words is real. It's no big shocker today. Some of you are like, yeah, I already knew all this. But I do feel like we need to be encouraged because I know that when I'm encouraged, it's one of the most empowering things for me as a person. Someone speaks a word of encouragement to me, I feel empowered to be more of who that person's encouraged me to be. And today I'm encouraging you that you are the light of the world. And you need to put your lamp on its stand. So we'll give light to everyone in the house because the world needs people who take the word who is Jesus and that word who is Jesus is life and that life is the light of all mankind. So sometimes to get a heart right, or sometimes, excuse me, we need to get our heart right in order to get our words right. So I wanna close with this. Uh, I have a few thoughts that will help tie this heart for Jesus into the words you speak. So three thoughts for you, kind of unconnected to what we've done so far. I've kind of done just more the teaching of God's word. Now I want to kind of apply, do some application, if you will, right? So three ideas that I'm going to call these sticky thoughts because the words I say bounce off of me and stick to you. Mm, number one, language shapes culture. All cultures are first shaped by language. This is true for big C cultures. This is true for small C cultures. For example, like the culture in your home or the culture in your workplace. For example, uh, if I use the word tall to describe small and the word grande to describe medium, where am I? <laughs> Starbucks, right? And I do dare you to go in there and use small, medium, and large. And when they say, when you say, I will take a medium latte, and they say, oh, you want a grande latte? You say, no, 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 I don't want anything that big. Medium's fine. Thank you. <laughs> Fight the power. No, they have a culture, right? They have a culture, and it's set through language. They have a culture about their coffee by calling their medium coffee grande, and their, and their big, large coffee, viente. <laughs> I'm like, what are we, this is a different language. But it shapes a culture. The same impact happens right here at OKC Community. We have words that we say, right? They're shared words. We might say... 
uh, everything begins and ends with prayer. Or we might say, love your city. Or we might say, bringing life to your city by loving God and living the gospel. And each one of those statements, they actually lead us to shape a culture that isn't just shaped by words, but it's shaped by actions that back up those words. And so we might say those things, but you know what? We have to do things to actually show that we love our city. We have to do things that actually say we believe in prayer. And so the culture we are building begins with language. Are you with me? And the same thing is true in your home. And the same thing is true if you lead a business or if you, if you, if, if you have, I mean, this is all true in your own life. You need to have words that you would say, these are my values is what we often call them. And those values shape the life you live. And so if you're not speaking these things, if you're not saying things that you actually uh, are saying, are these are the most important things to me, and you're not helping define your family through words like that, guess what? You're not going to have a culture of anything. It's just going to be a, t- a culture of existing but I want to have a culture of life. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to name three values or words that are important to your life, or if you want to put it in your home. So this is a personal life exercise, a home exercise, or perhaps you have a work that you're shaping the culture of, then apply it to your work. What's, what's a value you want in your home, for example? Maybe you create shared language around things like loving neighbors or generosity or encouragement or prayer. And like I said, if you own a business, maybe it's to lead people in a certain way. What's a shared value that you want to use to create that culture? So this is a very simple, practical idea about how words have power. Okay, number two, you talk about the things you love. <laughs> See, I talk about my family a lot because I love my family a lot. And I'm sure you talk about things that you love a lot too, but I want to kind of take the flip side of this. Let's look at it this way. If you don't say faithful things about the Lord, if you don't proclaim Jesus every day, if you don't speak about wanting to have a heart and a greater passion for Jesus, and then you wonder in your mind, why is my life not all that revolutionized by God? Why doesn't God do in me what he does in them? Why don't I feel all that close to God? The first thing I consider is, well, what do you talk about? Because listen, I don't know all the answers, but I know this. I know if we don't talk about God all that much, well, he might not really have our heart. Because here's the thing I do know is that we talk about the things we love. And if Jesus has your heart, you're not going to be able to stop talking about him. For example, I know guys that talk constantly about sports. Now, I love sports, and I talk a lot about sports. But if I talk about sports 10 hours to every 10 minutes about God, what really has my heart? What is my greatest passion going to be? We don't even have to make it 10 minutes. We can make it one hour. If I'm talking 10% about God versus, uh, versus you know, uh, 100% about sports or 90% about sports, what does that say? Or if you talk nonstop about making money or about work or about complaining or gossip, whatever it is, if you just think about what are you talking about? So how can you talk more about God? I'm going to like in one minute give you a lot of challenge here. I would say get in relationships that encourage more conversations. Schedule lunches with Christians to actually get together and encourage one another. The idea of talking more about God is getting in conversations that talk more about God. And so if you've always wanted to disciple someone, for example, 
Maybe you're someone that's like, I want to be a person that actually makes disciples. I just want you to know, you don't have permission. You don't have to have permission to do that. There's no program to do it. It's you deciding, I'm going to walk up to this person and say, hey, let's get together for lunch or coffee. And I just want to get to know you. This doesn't always have to be some weird, like major, like uh, a Yoda Skywalker thing. You know what I mean? It's not like you're now my disciple. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be the other way. Like, will you disciple me? I need you to be my Yoda. It doesn't have to be that way either. It just has to be, let's go to lunch and let's talk about God. And we, sometimes we, we stumble over something that seems really hard, but it's really simple. And we don't have enough conversations in our life that talk about the thing we love the most. We have all sorts of conversations that we would say are not as important as God, yet we put God in this limited capacity of where we can talk about him. So what if you started introducing new conversations? So the practical thought, the action step, start new conversations about God. <laughs> These could be discipleship conversations. These can be spiritually encouraging conversations. But just start having conversations with friends. Start new conversations. I've had seasons in my life when that was literally my challenge that I put before me. That was my goal, that over this month, I'm going to start three new conversations with an intentional purpose to fill in the blank, whatever that might be. Starting new conversations is critical if you want to start having better conversations about the thing you love the most. You guys with me? Number three, if you don't say it, you won't live it. It's scientifically, scientifically proven that we are way more likely to do the things we say out loud about goals values and vision than the things that we say to ourselves and keep in our inner thoughts. When we say it out loud, it releases the power of possibility. I was uh, talking to a friend the other day, or it was a few weeks ago, and they felt a call to a specific thing in their life. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was literally kind of them saying it out loud because they were overcoming fear and doubt and concern that if they, you know, if they said it out loud, it actually held them accountable to it, which is exactly right. When you let something out of your heart that God's put in your heart and you say it out loud, it actually does something in your psychology and in your mind that you're like, now I have to go do it. And so when we, we don't say things out loud, guess what? We're not going to live it. The words we speak become the rudder in the ocean of possibilities with God. I'm a big believer in this. You know, a lot of times God will put something big on my heart for my own life, or maybe God will put something big on my heart for the life of our church. And, I'll, and, and I know that if we don't say it out loud, it's never going to happen. And so I'll start saying it out loud to other people. I'll start saying it out loud, loud in prayer. I remember, for example, meeting in this room. We started saying that prayer out loud a long, long time ago, but specifically once we got into our building next door and we started to really think, what if, what if there's something in it? We started praying more specific, saying something out loud, like we need a doorway, we need a hallway through this wall through this brick wall. And we said that out loud to the point that I remember Meredith Kemp, Meredith Kemp put a prayer. She stuck a piece of tape on the wall and it said, God, put a, put a doorway in this wall so we can worship in the Tower Theater. And she said that way before, way before we ever did it. And I'm just thinking, man, that is it right there. If you don't say it, you won't live it. So the action step, what is in your heart that you need to say out loud? What is in your heart that you need to say out loud. This is an act of authentic faith. I, I mean, I'll give you one more example. And it's only, I only say this, I, I hesitate to say it because it's not about me at all, but I tell you because I believe some of you have dreams in your heart that you're afraid to say out loud. I remember when God put, out, put the dream in my heart, just to, as one example, to write a book, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't, wanna, I don't know what people think of it. I don't think it, it might be a failure. But until I said it out loud, I had no traction on it, no possibility with it. 
But when I was authentic about what was in my heart, just like you need to be authentic about what's in your heart and you need to just speak it out loud, that's when God moves because he moves through the faith of people. So let's review and then I'll be done. Language shapes culture. Name three values or words that you want to shape the culture of your home or your business or your life. You talk about the things you love. Start having more conversations about God in your life. If you, want, if you really want to reflect a life of making disciples, you're going to have to talk more about God. And if you don't say it, you won't live it. Let whatever is in your heart that you're afraid to say out loud that you believe is a thing from the Lord for you, a dream, a passion, a heart's cry, let it out. James calls us to an authentic faith that calls us to have authentic words. Who in here wants to live a life like that? Come on. Who in here wants to live a life where what you say matches what you believe? This is all just really about opening the door to your heart. We're talking about your heart. And I just want to encourage us today that I just want you even into this moment, in a, in a day that's about something that seems very specific about the things we say, maybe it's going to open the door to something bigger for you. That the Spirit wants to open your heart. God actually wants to make your heart tender towards Him today. He wants you to be able to receive whatever it is He has for you today. And, and, and the three heart questions we've been asking the last couple of weeks, I think are really good questions. I don't know if we'll continue to ask them all the time, but I, I, don't, I didn't feel the need to to release them yet, and I felt like we should continue to ask them. And it's these three questions. You can go to the next slide. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? The key question for every human is about your relationship with God. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, meaning Jesus is the way. Meaning, have you given your life to Jesus? And a lot of you I know have, but some, maybe some of you haven't. The scriptures say that confessing with our mouths, meaning through the words we say that Jesus is Lord and believing that Jesus was actually the Son of God, that that's how we're saved. So have you ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that I surrender to that and I wanna follow you, Jesus? Have you done that? And then the second question is this, are you growing in your faith? And I ask this question because it is so easy to drift into a life that is disconnected from God. And I want you to think of it like this. Think of it like this phone right here. Whenever this phone is not plugged into its power source, eventually, guess what happens? Eventually, it becomes powerless and purposeless, doesn't it? Now, here's the deal. It still remains a phone. It still has the potential to become powerful and purposeful again. But for a season, it's not as usable. And, and that's the way it is with our life with God, is that and as long as we stay plugged into the power source, with this, which is God, we find purpose and power. And then the third question, do you need help with anything? This is a question of compassion and love. Do you need help with anything in your life? That's where this church comes in. That's where these pastors come in. That's where our prayer team comes in. So I just wanna pray for us. Would you bow your heads? We're gonna worship in just a moment. And while we do, I want to let you know that the altar is open. Do you need help today? Come and pray with our prayer team. Come and find one of our pastors. You wanna start growing again? Come and get on your knees and surrender to God. Plug your heart back into a relationship with God. And finally, that question, right? Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? If you've never done that, maybe today is the day that you do it. 
Maybe today is the day you say, Jesus, I give you my life. If right now you just wanna get that clear in your mind, a lot of people struggle with this. Like, have I given my life to Christ? Or maybe you struggle with, you know, will I go to heaven? Or there's a lot of questions around God and spirituality and eternity, and I get all that. But there's a statement that Jesus said, I've already said it, but Jesus said, I, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you wanna come to Jesus today, I wanna lead you in a prayer. So right now, I just want, I wanna invite you. If you wanna say yes to God and you wanna come into the life with Jesus, just say this, say, Jesus, I give you my life. Actually, I just want you to whisper that right now to the Lord. Jesus, I give you my life. If you wanna give, give him your life right now, I'm gonna say it one more time. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. The next part of that prayer is you just say, and I confess that you are Lord. I confess that you are Lord. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin. Just whisper that. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And then the last part of that prayer is, and I commit to live for you. And I commit to live for you. Lord, I just thank you for any person who just prayed that prayer right now and they meant it in their heart. I just pray for them that you would seal this moment, seal this moment of salvation in their, uh, in their, in their story and in their life. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We thank you that you are the God who saves. We thank you for the name of Jesus. And we pray all these things in your name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Would you stand with us? We're gonna worship and just continue a time of response. This altar's open. You can come and you can pray or you can, uh, you can come and pray with a prayer team member, but we can also just worship the Lord today and just continue to respond to him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.